Hey there everybody and thank you for joining me. This is session three in my series that I'm calling Being a Good Sheep to the Good Shepherd. We are looking at Psalm 23 and we're learning all about what it means to follow our Good Shepherd. This is session three, Psalm 23 verses two and three. My shepherd in the meadows, streams, and the paths. We're going to learn about those three beautiful images today and what it means for us. Think uh, about uh, your, your life now and how you are following the shepherd. We're going to look at maybe some meadows he's taken you to, maybe some streams, and maybe you've walked down some paths that he's, he's led you on. Be thinking about that today. In the previous lessons, we've learned the traits of the shepherd. We've learned traits of the sheep. We're learning how to be good sheep following our shepherd. Last week, we learned what Jesus said about being a good shepherd. And we learned about our own wants we learned that what it means in Psalm 23 verse 1 when it says, and I shall have no wants, I will want not, it really means he's going to give us what we really need. And that's the, that's the important thing to remember about that. We saw that David has learned to live in contentment because God provides for him and he provides for us. And the question is, can we also live in contentment? Our first promise in Psalm 23 that we learned last week was provision. Our good shepherd gives us provisions for our body, our soul, and our spirit. So that was number one. Today we're going to look at verses two and three. He leads me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we're going to focus on these two verses and three parts of them, the images, the meadows, the streams, and the paths. And then in this lesson, we're going to hear about the next three things that God promises through Psalm 23. So we begin with, he makes me lie down in green pastures. One of the principal duties at all seasons of the year is for the shepherd to plan food for the flock. Green pastures literally means meadows of grass. The Hebrew word for grass, deshe, refers specifically to fresh or tender green grass, as opposed to mature grass or hay. And so that's very important that he wants us to see he leads us to the tender grass. Um, in the beautiful Judean wilderness, you can be there at different times of the year and see a very different landscape. In February, it looks lush in certain places. <coughs> and I imagine in those places, the sheep would find plenty of food and lots of good places to rest. The Hebrew word for lie down implies that the sheep are in this crouched position that uh, is, their legs are nestled up underneath them. 
And this is position that shows they are in a state of relaxation. That means they have no fear, no fear of predators or starvation. So what is your resting position? Where do you feel most comfortable, most relaxed? You know, I've tried sleeping on my back. I've gotten even those pillows that help to keep your head stationary. I, I've tried to do it and it is so hard. And I know it's supposed to be really good for your spine and it's supposed to be good for your neck. And really, it's supposed to be good for wrinkles also. And isn't that the important thing, ladies? But I just couldn't do it because I'm really comfortable and I'm more at rest on my side. I'm a side sleeper. And so I like to sleep on my side with my pillow just right here supporting my neck. I, I like to have the covers on me. I like a really cool house and I like to have a pillow between my legs. Okay, so it takes a lot to make me comfortable. Anybody else out there like that? <coughs> Share with me. But you know, I need a lot to be at rest and I think sheep need that also. Our passage says, he makes me lie down. Now note there's the word make. That does not indicate compulsion. It simply means that the shepherd is leading the sheep to a place where food is abundant, there is safety, the provisions are there, and he makes it so they want to lie down and rest. So they're not afraid, they're not fearful. Now in reality, they would just as soon sleep standing up. So he really needs to lead them to a place that where he can help settle them down. My favorite interpretation of he maketh me to lie down is he settles me down. Isn't that wonderful news that our good shepherd helps do that? Somebody needs to. <laughs> we need to be settled down. The sheep will eat of their own accord and then they will lie down because he makes it so that it's very comfortable. So they lie down when they are very satisfied, when they are content, when they feel safe and secure. He makes it possible for the sheep to lie down. It's really challenging though for the shepherd in the Judean hillside to find just the right conditions for the sheep to graze in green pasture because it's different all throughout the, the seasons. In the springtime, there's this abundance of green pasture. And usually the sheep are allowed to graze in, in the village. If, if, if they live in a beautiful hillside, they can graze right there in that village where the sheep's home is located. But when the harvest time is and the, is the grass is too full, the shepherds have to take their flocks to the surrounding hillsides to graze until the harvest has been brought in. And so the hillsides only look like this for a few months of the year. Most of the year, the Judean wilderness is brown. Most of the year. Can you see how hard it is for the shepherds to find a place for his sheep to get the kind of rest and food that they need? The lush grass turns into standing hay when the hot weather comes, and this becomes then the food for the sheep during part of the summer. Notice the circumstances of the sheep change throughout the year, but the shepherd is faithful to supply the needs anyway. Even though the sheep have changing circumstances, the shepherd is the same. What a message for us 
in our different circumstances through the different seasons of life, our shepherd is the same. In the late autumn, in the winter months, there are times when the shepherd really has a hard time finding pasture that's available for his flock. And so flocks are taken during this time to places in the mountain country where the shepherd busies himself doing a lot of work to find the place for them to eat. He finds some kind of little bushy tree out in the middle of nowhere. He cuts down branches of, uh, that, with leaves that have just a little bit of greenery and finds tender twigs so the sheep and the goats can eat. The shepherd has to keep the sheep moving so that they don't overgraze in an area and destroy it. Now, during all this moving around and trying to find the food and finding enough for his entire flock, I imagine some sheep might get a little whiny. I'm sure the shepherd would hear if they could voice it, I am so tired. Why do we have to keep moving? Uh, can we just stop and rest? Are we there yet? Uh, does it sound like anybody else out there when we don't have circumstances go the way we want them to? The shepherd has to keep them moving. And so I'm sure he says, move along, move along. We have to go somewhere else. Psalm 22, 23 verse 2 implies that the shepherd wants us to rest in the best. He wants us to have what the Hebrew word deshe says, tender grass. See, that's what he wants for us, the best. Uh, it, it's beautiful when you are in the Holy Land in Israel at this time of year and you see the, the lush rolling hillsides with lots of vegetation. The trees are all beautiful and full and the grass is, is very high and there are low places and high places and those sheep get to roam <clears throat> and relax and eat until they are fully satisfied and then they rest. That's what the shepherd wants for us. He wants us to be satisfied, satisfied in him. Uh, his lush pasture then refers to the first shoots of vegetation from the earth those tender shoots of vegetation. It differs from the ripe grass that's ready for mowing. See, that's another phase. He wants those early tender grasses. The idea is that they are resting in beautiful calm and tranquility. It's even more than that, though. The flock that lie down on the tender grass are saying, I am satisfied. That's what he wants for us. Their wants have been completely supplied. The flock in young and, and luxuriant grass are surrounded by abundance. All their wants and their needs are satisfied. They're surrounded by luxury and calm contentment. That's what he wants for us. My good shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures. He doesn't force me, but he leads me to a place of rest. He's already met my needs. And when I understand that, then he can lead me to, to a slow and settled place of rest. The rest and sheep, the rest and sleep that refreshes us. That's what he wants to do. That's why he wants us to slow down and settle down and rest and have sleep. 
a sleep that will refresh us. And look what can happen when we are at rest. It's been said that when we sleep, God works. Oh, yes, for that. Let him be busy about making a path for me and helping me to see that beautiful light at the end of the tunnel of my circumstances. Here's what Jesus said. We read in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now that Greek word there for for rest translates refresh. Think of rest as refreshing. God leads us to the lush valley to get the best rest possible. David experienced the lush valley himself. See, after he was appointed king, Saul was on the hunt for for David. He wanted to kill David. So David spent uh, years running from him. God provided for him, though. He led him. He gave him rest from his burdens. We can spend our lives running, too, can't we? We run with burdens, not stopping enough so that we can ever really unwind and just wind down and settle down. We keep our minds running, our bodies are running, and we end up running on empty. Our shepherd says, rest, rest in the lush valley I prepared for you and feed on the richness of my word. He said, give me your burdens and and just let me guide you. Let me guide your body and your soul and your spirit. And let me give you the peace and calm that I want for you. When we follow the shepherd, he will give us rest and refresh us. So our second promise in Psalm 23 is rest. Number two is rest. And in the next part of verse two, we read, He leads me beside the still waters. Has anyone ever gone whitewater rafting? Oh, dear me. Yes, I have done that. And while it is exhilarating, it's not a place where you can go and sip some cool water. No, you don't do that. It's rushing waters. And it's like drinking from a fire hose if, you jump, if you're dumped overboard, isn't it? That's not the kind of restfulness that Jesus is talking about in leading us uh, in Psalm 23 that David is referring to. See, still waters, it uses still waters, is probably not the best translation of the Hebrew because here's what it really means. Waters of rest. He leads us to restful waters, not still stagnant waters but restful waters. The idea seems to be of water where the the sheep can rest beside it and where the flock can find refreshment, not necessarily just placid water. Still waters or restful waters are waters that flow very slowly and calmly. They bring much peace and rest to a a body, a soul, and a spirit. One of the most relaxing things in life is to hear the sound of a bubbling brook or a flowing stream of water. I like that on a sound machine as I'm going to, to sleep. I like to hear that a babbling brook in the background. For some, that's a real distraction, but for me, that is very restful. Uh, it's something that can bring you to this state of calm where you can focus 
without any distractions if we sit by a beautiful stream um, a stream that is slow to move remember sheep are always led they're never driven see cowhands drive cattle but shepherds lead sheep I want us to remember that we are being led and not driven the shepherds would never lead sheep to swift flowing waters. See, those waters would be loud and dangerous and they would frighten the sheep. And then the sheep would be tempted to run away. Our shepherd wants to take us to a place of rest, a place of trust, a place of confidence, a place where we can truly sit with him focus on him and there would be no distractions and when our mind does begin to wonder we're brought back to him in this restful peaceful place he wants to take that heavy burden from us he wants to replace it with his peace and the rest the rest by his restful waters in areas where many shepherds gathered and there wasn't much access to restful waters they had to dig a well and when all watering places were dried up from the heat of summer, as was often the case in Palestine, then the town wells were used. So they could go to town wells or they could dig their own well. And so if they arrived at the town well, usually there was this large rock that was placed over the mouth of the well and they had to remove that. That's heavy duty work. Imagine all the effort that went into getting his flock water from a well they would have to then use a bucket some were in the town they would but if they're out in the uh, meadows and they had to dig a well they would use that bucket they travel with that collapsible bucket they travel with to dip the water for all the sheep as we refer to the shepherds at the well I'm reminded of a woman in the Old Testament who was tending a flock by the well these were called shepherdesses. Yes, there were women who took care of flock, the shepherdess. In Bible times, many women shepherded the flock for their family. As the families grew and the boys were out working in the fields, the girls and the women would take care of the sheep. We first met Rachel as a shepherd. Genesis 29 verse 6 says, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was their shepherd. And then we were introduced to Zipporah as a shepherd. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. See, these matriarchs of Israel both met their husbands at wells where they had led their flocks to drink. Well, during the course of their daily work, the the contact there at the well occurred and that ended up leading to their marriage and then many more years of caring for flocks possibly half the shepherds in Jesus day could have been women and I, I read some things that said that about half the sh shepherds in the world today are women shepherdesses most of them Besides pasturing the flocks, watering and watching them and tending to their little injuries and shepherding them at night and finding shelter, a safe haven for them. And as a shepherdess, a woman had a lot of duties that 
that were added onto that, they would also take the wool from the sheep and spin that wool. Uh, equipped with her drop spindle and a bundle of wool, she would spin yarn during her hours in the field. There was a lot of hard work that went into it, wasn't there? The Bible accounts indicate the lives of some shepherdesses also had some downsides, and they involved men. Listen to this in Exodus 2, verses 16 and 17. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. I wonder how often Jethro's daughters endured scenes like that. While they were working so hard to uh, take care of their flock, pitcher by pitcher full, only to have their flocks pushed aside by these surly shepherds who were too lazy to draw their own water. And so these women had to take care of not only their own sheep, but the sheep of these men. Well, it must have been often because Jethro asked them why they were back home so soon. And they had to tell him what had happened. And then here's what we learn in Exodus 2 verses 18 and 19. An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherd. See, they gave credit for Moses for taking care of them. And he drew enough water for us. See, he took care of them. So while we have this one account of the women being put aside uh, and having to take care of the men and their flock, we also see that Moses, one of our heroes of faith, took care of those women. Both women yesterday and today have some challenges, don't we? Shame on those bullies and hip hip parade for the gentlemen. Just as sheep will wade into water by those safe streams, those slow moving, calming waters, we too can learn to wade into the living water and drink up the peace that God wants to offer us. We're not forced to drink it. We are just led beside it and we have the freedom to choose whether or not to drink in deeply. God gave us an invitation to drink in the book of Isaiah. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, he said. Isaiah 55 is descriptive of God calling the people of Israel to come back to him. He's calling the people of Judah who need mercy. He calls them to come to God and receive the mercy that only God can provide. And, and in this me metaphor of come to the water, he implies that the people are thirsty. They're in need of his water. The obvious solution to thirst is water. So what does it mean, come to the water? In this context, it means return to me, return to God, be dependent on me for mercy. He invites us to come to the waters. He does this invitation again in the book of Revelation in chapter 7, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away their tears from their eyes. In that passage, we're told that there will be springs of living water for those who are hurting, for those who are mourning, for those who are in sorrow. 
He will wipe away your tears. When we go to that beautiful place of rest where the living waters are. Jesus, we read in the New Testament, extends an invitation also to the thirsty. We read in John 7, beginning with verse 37, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from this heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who would be given to everyone who believe in him. Do you see now how Jesus has fulfilled this whole image, this whole metaphor about living water? He said that I am living water and I am going to leave your presence. But our Father, our Heavenly Father, is going to send the Holy Spirit to be living water as a part of you. What a wonderful promise. We can have those streams of living water right inside when we lean in and lean on the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus well, Jesus invited this woman at the well to drink from the well of living water. This Samaritan woman, this troubled woman, this woman who had a really bad reputation and had been rejected by the culture. He's giving her an invitation. Jesus could see that she had an ache in her heart. She was, had a desperate need to have it filled. She needed fulfillment. He could see she was parched in her soul. He knew that she had tried to fill all those places in different ways. And he knew that she had a heart bucket that needed to be filled with real living water. More than just the water at the well where she had appeared. In the middle of her mundane day, she accepted his living water. And in an overlooked part of this story, we read in John 4, verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. She didn't need that water pot anymore, did she? On that day, she began to fill her heart with God's peace. You know, we might need to ask ourselves, what is filling our water jar? What are we putting in our water pot? What is making our water jar heavy? If it's not full of living water, then it implies that we are seeking fulfillment somewhere else. Ask yourself what you're doing for fulfillment. You know, in our incessant comings and goings, is that what we're trying to do? Find fulfillment? In just doing, in searching for the perfect whatever, is that what we're trying to fill ourselves up with? Are, are we finding fulfillment in just other people, in family members, in friends, in material things? Our shepherd wants us to wants to meet us at our well, and he wants to have us set down that water pot. And he wants us to know that we don't need to pick up our own water pot again. He's going to fill our heart bucket. He's going to fill it to overflowing abundantly with living water that will give us peace. It will give us courage to fight our battles. 
It, it will give us ways to sustain ourselves when we're going through the really hard times. It will give us direction and answers. He wants to put that in our heart bucket. He wants us to have his portion. See, a word uh, for, for this part of our reading today is the word peace. A word for this portion is peace. When we rest and refresh, we have peace. Let's fill our heart bucket with peace from the living water. And then we want to look at the next portion where we read that he restores our soul and he leads us to paths of righteousness. This is going to build on what has gone before in this chapter. See, the Lord provides spiritual restoration and he is going to renew our strength. And then once we're restored, he's going to lead us to the past, the right past, so that we're not wandering aimlessly. Now let's look at the order of events. We often work first and rest second. But God does the opposite with us. He wants us to rest and be restored. And then he's going to lead us in the path. See how that works? He's going to give us the, the, all that we need in the beautiful meadows. He's going to take us to the stream and give us living water and fill up our heart bucket and then he's going to restore us and send us out on the paths of righteousness. He allows us to rest and be restored. And then he leads us into what he has planned for us. Oh, the goodness of God is on full display there with what he's doing. Look at what it says. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Restoration. That's our next word. Restoration. He restores me. Now, restoring the soul refers to the renewing and sustaining of life. The Hebrew word for soul here is nefesh. And that refers to one's being, one's life not just man's body. The Hebrew word translated restore means bring back. He's going to bring us back. The shepherd wants to bring us back to him through restoration. He wants us to have soul restoration. We, we've learned in our previous studies that the soul has various parts to it. it ha we have our mind. We have our emotions. And we have our will. And, and when we've not grazed in his pasture enough, meaning we've not feasted on his word and prayed in the pasture, and we've not found time to rest by the still waters and experience his peace, and we've not let him fill up our heart bucket with the living water, then our soul is weary and worn. When we've let wrong thoughts creep in and take up residence, our words and our emotions and our actions are going to show that. And when we flip our lid and we live emotionally charged with the roller coaster of highs and lows, our soul has strayed from the shepherd. When we've made our own personal will more important than his will, we have manifested to God and to the world that our soul has moved away from the Savior. 
And God wants to restore that. God promises restoration. He promises to bring us back, to take us back, to call us home, to come after us. What does that happen? When does that ever happen to you? How does it look when you have to get the rest and restoration that you need? You know, I recall in early 2020, I'd, become, I'd come off of a very busy Christmas season with family and all the celebrations, and you all know how that always looks. And I had traveled to Nicaragua on a mission trip, one of the favorite things that I, I did during the year, and I loved it. And I was battling persistent sinus infections, and I was weary and worn. My doctor, who's also my friend, examined me and set me down and looked me directly in the eyes and she said, you're going home. You're going to bed. You're not getting up and you're not going anywhere for one solid week. You're going home. Well, I'd never been put on bed rest. And while I mildly resisted, I was also relieved, really relieved. My body needed rest. My soul needed to slow down a bit. And my spirit needed time with the shepherd. I got put on sabbatical. I stayed home in bed. And I got restoration. When does that happen for you? Has it happened? Does it need to happen? Where do you go for restoration? For your sabbatical? Shepherds often took their sheep to caves to rest them and to restore them. See, caves are quiet and safe and can be good temporary resting places. It's good to find a place of restoration. As Christians, we are the sheep of God's pasture, and only He can restore our souls. To restore means to repair, to renovate, to return to a former condition. See, the soul and spirit are our innermost being. And since God is the one who made us, He's the only one who can restore us because He's the one who truly knows what we need in order to restore our souls. First, He will restore us when we take the time to slow down and spend time with Him and dig into His Word. Next, He restores us through prayer. He wants us to take our problems, our circumstances, our discouragement, our tiredness to Him in prayer, knowing that He loves us and cares for us and wants us to show us, wants to show us the way out, the way up to Him. Third, He's given us other Christians to encourage us and to support us. What a joy it is when you find a group a group that's going to help sustain you, that's going to lift you up. And I have found that in our Women of Worth. Our WOW group is an army of women who will surround us and love us and encourage us in the highs and the lows and in all the circumstances of life. PTL for WOW. Anybody else out there? Give a comment if you can experience, you've experienced that. 
King David wrote many of his psalms during the dark times of his life. And they can serve to encourage us when we're down, when we're depressed, we're tired and discouraged because David had experienced what we experience. And he also got to experience the soul of the joy of a soul restored to God. And that's how he could pen the words in Psalm 23. He restores my soul. The paths of righteousness. That's where we get our fourth promise. It's guidance. The path of righteousness. When we break that down, righteousness is right living. That's what he wants to give us. We've been fed, we've been watered, we've been rested, and now our good shepherd wants to restore our souls and then lead us to the paths of righteousness. David wrote this psalm during a time of spiritual renewal or revival. He refreshes my soul, says the living, New Living Translation. He renews my life, affirms the Christian Standard Bible. Like a sheep who lacks the typical animal sense of direction, David had lost his way. He had wandered off the right path. But here, David affirms, he leads me into these paths of righteousness. Now, remember, the primary job of a shepherd is to lead the sheep in the right way, in the right way to get food and water and to fend off predators. He leads them. The shepherd was responsible for the welfare and safety of the sheep. The word paths in Psalm 20, uh, 23 verse 3 refers to, if we're speaking of it in metaphorical terms, the course of conduct. That's what our good shepherd does. The word righteousness in the original language means adhering to moral standards like honesty, justice, and uprightness. See, that's right living. Break it down. Righteousness means the right paths. That's where he wants to lead us. Sheep are dependent on the shepherd to guide them to the right paths. The paths that lead to the food and the water and the shelter and keeps them away from danger. The term that is used here refers specifically when we are using it as a metaphor to doing what is right, right in God's sight. What is right according to God's will and His way. God leads His people on the correct path through His Word and through the Holy Spirit's guidance. God does all of this for His name's sake. Think about that. For the sake of His good name. In other words, when we live a righteous life, we do it for the good name of God, for the good name of Jesus. In other words, to bring honor and glory to His name. If we've chosen to be a sheep in His pasture, we want all things we think and feel and say and do to bring glory to the name of God. Because we're His representative. We are the sheep in His pasture. The Lord led David down the right paths for His namesake. See, He wanted David to have a good reputation as the chosen king. He wanted him to be able to take care of his people as God had promised that he could do it. 
He wanted David to preserve his name because his name was connected to the good name of God, our Father. You know, sheep are known from straying off the path, and so are Christians. Yet, if a believer falls into sin, as David did with Bathsheba, the Lord is committed to leading the sheep back on the right path. The good shepherd goes after that one lost sheep. The father waited on the prodigal son, remember? And the Lord shows us our wandering way so that we can repent and have our souls refreshed and restored. 1 John 1 verse 9 tells us, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Oh, Peter, the apostle Peter, is an excellent example of one who strayed. He strayed, but he was pursued by the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And after he fell, Peter, like David, was forgiven and he was restored by the Lord. Yes, he will restore us when we stray. The book of wisdom, Proverbs, tells us this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. And what's he going to do? He's going to make your path straight. He's going to direct your paths. That's a promise from Scripture. Paths of righteousness are the safest roads to travel. That is where ultimately we have wisdom and justice and right living and integrity and eternal blessings. These paths, Scripture says, are the way of pleasantness and the paths of peace. Do you want to know if you're on the right path? Well, check your level of peace and contentment. That's usually a really good indicator. You know, imagine a beautiful lush meadow with lots of green grass, tender grass. We'd like to live in that lush meadow all year, wouldn't we? All our needs would be clearly met and met in abundance. We love this feast period, don't we? But what about the famine season? What about the dry season? Imagine looking at an image of a hillside that's filled with dirt and rocks and hills. Not much vegetation there at all. We can easily see God in the lush green meadows, can't we? We see and feel God at work, don't we? But do we see Him? in the dry desert times of our lives. It's easy to be content in the lush meadows, but are we content in every situation? Do we really see that God gives us what we really need in both the highs and the lows, in both the lush meadows and the dusty, deep, dark valleys? Did we see him working on our behalf when life is hard and it's rocky and rough and it's messy and we can't really see his provision? Or do we tell God, I'm struggling here. Where are those lush meadows you promised? <laughs> when we're in the dry season, we try to really work hard ourselves, don't we? To find our way out. How do we live well in both circumstances? Are we fully trusting our shepherd when life is in the brown? 
when we've experienced loss and disappointment and devastation, when we're lonely and sad, when we've come to the end of the rope, when we're in the brown, do we forget God's promise in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I have no needs. I shall not want. He's promised us provision and rest and restoration and guidance. Do I believe it in the brown like I believe it and see it in the green? He will give us enough and more often than enough. It's abundance. He will give us what we really need. We're much like sheep. We live in community, in a flock. And we rely on God in the flock. And we rely on God to use the flock to help us. God works through others and he works himself through us. He promises to lead us to people and to the pastures where we are going to find that everlasting joy, that courage that we need, that boldness that we lead, need, that peace we need. Let's trust him in the green and let's trust him in the brown because what we know is the good shepherd knows where all the, the lush meadows are and the restful waters are. They're on the other side of that rocky ridge. Are you willing to trust the Good Shepherd to lead you to the other side? The good side? Good sheep, let the Good Shepherd lead. Let's commit to doing that. Our Father, our good, good Shepherd, we thank you for leading us. We thank you for getting us to the point where we want to lie down and rest in you and for taking us to the place of, of restful waters. We thank you, Father, that you will give us peace and safety and you will give us restoration. And then you will lead us into the path of right living. And when we veer off that path, Father, we know you're going to come look for us. Help us in all these circumstances to be faithful to you. Help us to see you in both the brown parts of our life and the green and in doing so, we're going to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining. I look forward to next week's episode.